is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts, the art of living, and all of our profound journeys. The pandemic has birthed an endless amount of words and phrases, some new, some just rehashed. It seems to me as if the entire planet has become politicians or consultants in their use of phraseology in working through our turmoil of the last few years. But on further inspection, these phrases have not been with us just since the onset of COVID. They have been creeping into our vocabulary for years. Let's start with phraseologies such as rebaseline, artifact, double down, unprecedented, disambiguate, the new normal, and the dreaded and overused word pivot. To me, the words are thick and fast as if put to use by some overzealous screenwriter. But yet to my mind, they all have the weight of ambiguity. Is that what our world has become? Well, let me talk about what pivot means to me. I'm an artist, and when I hear the word pivot, it conjures up a visual of a ballet dancer doing a pirouette, literally doing a turn on the stability of the body's axis without traveling, just turning. There is nothing ambiguous about this visual, but when every man in the street is looking for a new direction, especially out of the pandemic, does pivot need to be the word of choice? I get it that in the world of business or politics, everyone is searching for new jargon and buzzwords. But why? Are they trying to heighten the sense of ambiguity for our already beleaguered minds? Or is everyone continuing to search for an adrenaline drive through words? One of my personal favorites to dread is the word curate. Again, as an artist, I am quite familiar with the job of one who curates art. It serves a high purpose. But when curate is suddenly used as a dumpster for pulling anything together, I start to laugh. With its museum connection, curate can be a lofty word. But hipsters took the word to a new level when they used it as a means of speaking about anything that was being juxtaposed. By association, I think they felt that the word itself helped to elevate many of them as mere mortals to a new level of breeding and pedigree. Even the multi-talented actor-comedian Eddie Izzard pokes at us all in his stand-up routines. A gifted linguist, he scorns those who dare to devalue the word awesome. But yet, probably more than any other word, we have maligned its literal meaning. To be in awe of one of the seven wonders of the world is one thing. But as Eddie Izzard says, awesome? Like a hundred million hot dogs? On researching the dearth of buzzwords I am speaking of, I have read countless articles from quite erudite individuals who are calling for an end to the energy that is being put into the spin on new phrases that show an underachievement on the part of the individual using them. For instance, 
In ad news from a publication in June 2020, author Chris Pash gives a rundown of some of the most popular cliches and buzzwords that have been accepted and used too frequently. So here's an example. Disambiguate. He says, a word that rather cleverly obscures the thing it seeks to clarify, like spraying mud on windows to clean them. And then there is, in the time of COVID, well, he says, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, it ain't. Ideation, a bold attempt to make a bad idea sound better than it is by diverting our attention. Or, going forward, he says, I long for the day when someone writes, going backward. Now, these are just a few excerpts from journalist Chris Pash. And I get it, you know, but I hope we can learn to be specific again. There is ample room for color, texture, and imagination in our language. But so much of this jargon has left us in a vacuum. I mean, think about it. Disambiguate. I'm already confused. I, for one, want more than a vacuum in life, and I will admit, during COVID, I've been guilty of a few of these catchphrases, but I'm going to work on myself now to leave them all out the door. The descriptive room in my life is a lot bigger, and I think more interesting, than repeating the machinations of groups searching for a new high by misuse of the written word. I think we can all do better. And the simple of the plot is just to tell them that I love you a lot and the world discovers as my book ends how to It is quite possible that from January 2020 to the present may have been the most productive time of my life. I had been doing quite a bit of traveling to Europe in 2019 to teach voice and then out to the West Coast for some time leading up until the beginnings of the pandemic. As rumors of the dreaded plague developed into reality, I settled into my routine in lockdown. I had my first few weeks of the snow day euphoria, which was followed by the reality of my work. What about my work? How could I be as productive while sequestered at home? Well, productivity was not a problem. In fact, it was enhanced for the first time in many years. I am not alone in this. Many have found that working from home has allowed them to achieve fantastic work results without as many distractions. No commute time wasted, no endless driving. For some, there was a feeling of loss without a destination to work from. But for me, the loss of distraction was a blessing. My home has always been my main work abode. But my many projects, which included two choirs to conduct, teaching several times a year in two European locales, and producing several music and theater projects, kept me on the move. 
I was reaching a point of exhaustion before COVID. I didn't want to admit it, but COVID changed that denial. During the past months of lockdown, I found that I related to the Emily Dickinson poem because I could not stop for death. And this is not because I felt my own imminent death, but rather the pursuance of a richer life. These are Ms. Dickinson's words. Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves and immortality. We slowly drove. He knew no haste, and I had put away my labor and my leisure too, for his civility. We passed the school where children strove at recess in the ring. We passed the fields of gazing grain. We passed the setting sun. Or rather, he passed us. The dews drew quivering and chill, for only gossamer my gown, my tippet only tool. We paused before a house that seemed a swelling of the ground. The roof was scarcely visible, the cornice in the ground. Since then tis centuries, and yet feels shorter than the day I first surmised the horses' heads were toward eternity. The powerful poem paints the picture of a female speaker who simply climbs onto the chariot that a kindly fellow, presumably death, is driving as they climb towards eternity. There is a cyclical nature to the words of this poem, and a definite peace and acceptance of death as she observes her departure from life. In that same way, when the pandemic forced me to remain still and in one place, I felt a departure from life as I had known it. And as Miss Dickinson says so well, because I could not stop. Is this not the drama that we all face at some point? We are too busy to stop. We are too busy with distraction to smell the roses. We are too preoccupied with other things that we are not present in life. Every line of her poem personifies and explores life, and every month over the last year and a half, I have explored mine. For better or for worse, I have finally had to stop for life. Being divided from music-making with other colleagues, I started to work like everyone else by teaching online and discovering Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, WhatsApp. My teaching took on a new intensity. My singing students were hungry for music in any way. They were dedicated to our sessions, and my book was filling up with a multitude of sessions. The only real challenge I face was lining up lessons with the world time differences and upping my personal best running a computer. I was desperate to see my family in Oregon, but with having the requisite fear of flying, I could only consider a road trip across the country to the West Coast. And after reading personal stories in the New Yorker and New York Times from individuals who had taken on that task, I decided 
the better part of valor was to stay safe on the East Coast. I wrote consistently and often, chronicling my own feelings and those of my friends divided from me. I was reaching out to more people who I trusted to read my work and to ask them for their honest criticisms of my words and themes. Out of the solitude of my home, I was learning to workshop and welcome the criticism. With necessity, I put conducting my two choirs on indefinite hold. I was no longer racing to New York City for concerts or for teaching. I was, for the first time, having to organize food in a practical fashion. No more eating out. I stopped obsessing over how I looked and enjoyed comfortable clothes, something we are all still enjoying for the most part. On invitation by the Byram Schubert Library in Greenwich, I performed in, produced, and directed two performance films, which were featured as part of the library's public broadcasts. Both projects were deep passions for myself, technically assisted by my husband, other featured pianists and singers, and in one project, I celebrated the work of Chat Pirsat, the Cambodian poet and artist who survived the atrocities of the Khmer Rouge. When you cannot perform live, the process of putting together films where you can feature the work of others is a deeply satisfying and humbling experience. With the passing of one of my good friends, singer Lynette Leon, I produced and hosted an online memorial for her many admirers and colleagues to attend. It was a very moving ceremony, and I felt a frisson of satisfaction that it was all the more moving because it was an online broadcast. The people in attendance were equal. Many spoke, many cried, and every person there was 100% present during the ceremony. For myself, I decided to explore Schubert song cycles that were new to me in performance. I worked on Winterreise, which seemed perfect for the worst winter days of the pandemic. The depth of the songs suited my mood and took me on a new personal journey during the winter months. I also started to perfect Schwanegesang, which contains many of Schubert's most beautiful melodies. I reached out to one of my old colleagues who I had not seen for years, a pianist by the name of Nan Knowles, a skilled collaborative pianist and coach and pianist for mezzo-soprano and Sophie von Otter. Nan now lives and works in Stockholm, Sweden. I asked her if she and I could record Schwanegesang, which we are presently doing remotely. It's not only been a technical challenge in bringing our recording together, but it has brought us back to work as friends and colleagues. In the 70s, we were performing together while working towards our Master of Music degrees at the University of Southern California, and I smile with the self-satisfaction that now we are working together again as a byproduct of the COVID limitations. At the piano, I dove into Beethoven's sonatas, It almost seems cliché that in the drama of the pandemic that musicians turn to the inner turmoil of Beethoven as a panacea. I fell in love with my piano in a new light, not taking it for granted, but rather being attentive to the colors of its extended range 
and the technical work I needed to remind myself of to be a better pianist. I'm a natural shopper, but now I turned my attention completely to online purchases. I found that the energy I used to reserve for perusing in the stores, I could satisfy with a Bloomingdale's or Nordstrom online presence. And Amazon became my friend many, many times. As I thinned out my work existence, I realized that I had time to be completely present for the joy of the piano, my singing, and my teaching. I started to privately dread the idea of having to return to my old schedule of driving and working in New York City. I felt liberated. I pulled out Julia Child's Art of French Cooking and finally started to learn to follow a recipe. There were a few joyous meals served that even astonished me. My previous lack of patience for cooking was replaced with the curiosity for exploration in the preparation of food. This is something that I had never experienced before, as cooking had always been my enemy. I searched and found old friends on Facebook who I had lost touch with. It somehow seemed perfect that, during a pandemic, I was discovering old friends who needed deep personal connections. And for those who were not finding solitude agreeable, we were able to talk through many of the issues they faced and find some solutions. And along the way, we found some distractions from woe. But perhaps because of my solitude and the need to feel closer to people, I turned to reading biographies and autobiographies as my favorite book choices during the pandemic. I discovered many new writers and some established wordsmiths who I needed to rediscover. It strengthened my own writing. This is Pamela Kuhn, and I'm speaking to my listeners today on Center Stage about what I think my most productive year was, and that was during the time of the pandemic. So let's get back to my other things. Let's talk about the radio show. I have said many times on this show and to my friends, Center Stage with Pamela Kuhn has been my saving grace throughout the pandemic. I continued to serve up new shows weekly. At the beginning, I felt the moral obligation to research and provide information for other artists who needed financial aid with the onset of theaters being closed. I reached out to opera companies and individuals who could provide inspiration and hope for artists who were in crisis. More than ever, individuals were reaching out to me to be a guest on my show. People had a lot to say, they were frustrated, and they needed a platform. I have been happy to provide that and more. 
Rather importantly, I sought out several guests who were instrumental in helping others to think of career changes and transitions. To help them think beyond the limitations of the pandemic in their jobs and start to plan ahead. But perhaps the most important job I had as a radio talk show host was to provide entertainment and laughter, to try to keep our inner balance stimulated. Yes, my radio show has been a personal saving grace. One day when I was considering options for the future months, I was pulled towards an idea that had been sitting in the back of my mind for some time. It was to start a business using my own talents to be of service to others, to help people kickstart their eventual re-entry into life and find confidence. I sought out the help of executive coach Nancy Friedberg from Career Leverage to help me. After a short discovery session, she confirmed that she felt that my ideas were sound and with some intense work, we could build something that had an eye for the future. And so Opus 8 Consulting was born, a company that provides presentation and speech-making skills development and executive presence. After a year of ideas, development, and refinement, Nancy helped me construct and set up this new business so the launch would be strong. I must say here that for many who have quit the workforce and started their own companies, they are joining a movement of those who are realizing a passion or idea that just needed the right moment to bloom. COVID has given many that moment, as it did for me, and this has been reflected in the U.S. Patent Office workload with a rush of trademark applications. Each day that I worked towards my company's birth, I felt more committed and trusted the fact that I had used my time wisely. Like so many, I had simply gone back to school to learn to leverage my own skill set. The coming months will reveal if my company will fly. Time will tell. For anyone out there who is considering building a company and working towards realizing a dream that may have been shelved, the time for growth is now. As author Brooke Fox in the Financial Times Online says, Spare time, the use of new technologies, and confinement to home, these appear to have created a catalyzing environment. And so it has for me. As I march forward, I am now taking a moment to look back on the past 16 months. I would not give up all the months I had to play Beethoven, to research new material for my radio show, and to enjoy simpler pleasures without distractions. I learned to totally relax, which made me more efficient in my own work. I chose a new direction. I avoided the chariot ride to immortality, as Miss Dickinson so aptly described in her poem. And I chose life. The cycle continues. I'll watch this space as I remain determined to follow the catalyst that lockdown has provided for me. In the chariot of my own making, I am taking the road that I dreamed about, but had not cleared out the time to fully realize. I am not alone. 
For many of you, I hope you will take the time and process what you really want from life right now. Let your passion float to the top. Do not be afraid to ask for help or seek out a career advisor or executive coach to help you build an idea or discover where your talent should be used to the fullest advantage. You may perhaps find an exciting new horizon in front of you, and then you can find your most productive year. I am going to close today with the wise words of the wonderful Joseph Campbell. Follow your bliss. The heroic life is living the individual adventure. There is no security in following the call to adventure. Nothing is exciting if you know what the outcome is going to be. To refuse the call means stagnation. When you don't experience positively, you will experience negatively. You enter the forest at the darkest point where there is no path. Where there is a way or path, it is someone else's path. You are not on your own path. If you follow someone else's way, you are not going to realize your potential. It is by going down into the abyss that we recover the treasures of life. Where you stumble, there lies your treasure. The very cave you are afraid to enter turns out to be the source of what you are looking for. The damned thing in the cave that was so dreaded has become the center. You find the jewel and it draws you off. The purpose of the journey is compassion. The goal is to bring the jewel back to the world, to join the two things together. The goal is to live with godlike composure on the full rush of energy, like Dionysus riding the leopard without being torn to pieces. As you go the way of life, you will see a great chasm. Jump. It is not as wide as you think. Well, I want to thank all of you for spending time with me this morning on Center Stage. I want to reflect back on the Emily Dickinson poem that I highlighted at the beginning of the show. Because I could not stop for death, I want you to take a moment and refer to it yourself. This is a poem that asks all of us to explore life, find your passions, and live your bliss. That is the best that I can share with you today. And I hope you will go to Center Stage with PamelaCoon.com for more information about my show and previous broadcasts. I hope you'll take a moment to reach out to me online. I love to hear from my listeners. So in the meantime, stay safe out there. I hope you'll join me next Tuesday at 9 a.m. on WGCH Talk Radio. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on center stage. I could write a preface on how we met So the world would never forget And the sin Tell them that I love you a lot.